Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Stride Drive, your weekly cricket podcast coming straight at you today. We are back after a 14-day break like the Indian contingent enter into the quarantines in England. And talking about cricket, the Kiwis are marked have run-ups and started bowling to the English batters who are trialing in the first innings. And even the customary tweet of Jimmy Neesham that the Devon Conway can bat has come out. As an Indian cricket fan, what better times than the English summer warming up for the Indian women to play a test match after a long time and the World Test Championship, the historic event between the India and Kiwis. In that context, we are here to bring you a very special episode with a very special person. In the age of social media, it's tough to distinguish between facts and fiction unless unless you know someone called Ovi Sheikh on Twitter presenting you the author of Azhar and Sachin of Cape Town, a statistician, an analyst, the historian, but the best of all, an amazing storyteller, the one and only Abhishek Mukherjee. Welcome Abhishek, Dr. Stridrev. Privileged to have you on our show. Thank you. I suppose it's a privilege for me, actually. <laughs> You're being modest on that, but thank you very much, sir. You love facts, right? You love facts so much that you kept your Twitter bio as Abhishek Mukherjee, not Pranam Mukherjee's son. What was that for, sir? What's all that oh, about? People uh, confuse me for Pranam Mukherjee's son. I mean, uh, I got some condolence messages when uh, Mr. Mukherjee passed away. We are so sorry for your loss and so on. I mean, it was very odd, you know. <laughs> so I had to tell them individually that I am not the person they are sympathizing with so yeah and it has been persistent since then people have often tagged me <laughs> the steven smiths and the yes, yes. <laughs> the wrong person being tagged is not uh, new to twitter sir but i want to ask you something you have the jee in your name abhishek mukherjee of course did you crack the jee tell us a bit about how did you become a cricket statistician i actually appeared for uh, the state uh, engineering test I even got a rank, but I didn't want to st- go into engineering. I wanted to study something else. I mean, I got through, through statistics and then I went to the Indian Statistical Institute. That is what my a- academic qualification is. Then I did a job in analytics, worked there for 13 years across companies, and then did a complete switch. Wonderful, sir. Engineer's loss is uh, Indian cricket's gain, I would say. but. I mean, any historic fact, my fingers would type uh, Ovi Sheikh on Twitter just to cross-check things, right? And we'd like to talk to you about some test cricket nuances uh, today in today's episode and pick your brains on that. So, because of the fever all being uh, with the World Test Championship, let me ask you the first question that, is it the first time in the history of this kind of a tournament is happening in the test cricket format or was there any previous instance of these kind of trials that has happened ever? No, uh, at least twice. See, first in 1912, there were three test playing nations at that point. They had a triangular tournament in England. It uh, was a good, good prospect, actually. Basically, every team plays every team thrice. So, nine test matches for the summer, no final, entirely league. That was uh, the plan. There would be three neutral matches, but there would also be six home matches. They expected that to make up for the amount. But uh, there were three problems. First, 
South Africa had some success, but that was mostly due to their wrist spinners who could bowl Googly. Now, England is not where wrist spinners did well. South Africa played their home matches on matting wickets. This was a different thing altogether. So, essentially, with South Africa being a really weak side, they were a strong side. They had some individual players. They had Aubrey Faulkner, who was at that point probably the greatest cricketer in the world. But they were not as good as Australia or England. That is one thing. Secondly, the Australian cricketers had a, a major disagreement with the board. Six mainstream Australian cricketers opted out of the tournament. So essentially what the Australians sent was a second string side. They also did not get a very popular manager and there was internal discord in the team. Neither the players nor the manager was happy with each other. So Basically, they had an underperforming South Africa and an Australian side that was not full strength. Even then, this tournament might have worked, but this turned out to be the wettest English summer in 150 years. So, essentially, what happened was the three England-Australia tests, so that was supposed to gain most profit, two of the three tests did not even reach the third innings due to rain. So, that left the six South Africa matches and South Africa were... South Africa lost five of these and all of these were one-sided matches. So, this was a good idea that backfired. There was one historic moment. In the first test of the first of the nine tests on day two, Jimmy Matthews of Australia got two hat-tricks. This is still the only time in the history of cricket. Two hat-tricks by the same bowler in the same match. Yeah. That was some stats, sir. <laughs> then the next time they tried a tournament was... We know this around uh, the 98-99-2000 mark. India, Pakistan and Sri Lanka played the Asian Test Championship. The first match of that is pretty famous. Played in Eden Gardens, India, Pakistan. This was the match where Shoaib Akhtar bowled Dravid and Tendulkar with consecutive balls. Srinath had that first morning spell. And then uh, in the second inning, Said Anwar scored 188 not out and Srinath took 8 wickets. It was uh, one of the greatest contests of the modern times. And then uh, Tendulkar had that controversial run out. He reached the crease and then he was he, his bat was pushed out of the crease and he was wrongly given run out. There was crowd violence. So India lost the matches and eventually they drew in Sri Lanka, which was when Ashish Nehra made his debut. So, uh, India didn't make it to the final and in the next edition, India did not participate. It was Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. After that, this is the first World Test Championship. Absolutely brilliant, sir. Like, we moved from 1912 to 96 and now 2021. I think they might have uh, tried, but they found shorter formats in which uh, hosting a World Championship is easier. See, as we saw in the ICC Test Championship, unlike a World Cup, it can't be held over a month. It has to be a two-year thing. So, that requires a lot of organization. Absolutely, sir. You are spot on on that. The time frame that the tournament needs is uh, long and uh, with the busy international schedules, it gets difficult. And kudos to ICC and the participation, yes, participating nations as well. Uh, in the excitement of talking to you, I just forgot to introduce my colleagues, Manohar and Sharath, who are ardent cricket fans as well. Manohar, I'm sure you got a lot of questions up your sleeve. Want to shoot one? Yes, absolutely, Uday. Sir, we heard some great stories about test cricket that went on for days. Even uh, some teams were in danger of missing their ships. So, please uh, share some stories beyond this and how did the transition happen from uh, playing for days on end to time-bound test matches? 
Yeah, actually, that was where the transition happened. There were two test matches, essentially. One, the first ever series on West Indies soil in the uh, 1929-30. So, they were chasing a massive total in excess of 800. The match was drawn. George Hitley scored a fourth innings double hundred. The match was drawn because the team had to leave. Because, see, one thing was, if there is no end in sight... The match can go on until it's finished and the opposition is a strong batting side. Why would a side declare? There is no incentive to declare. The whole purpose of a declaration is to, because there is an end, there is an end point decided. So, if there is no end and it's a flat batting surface, why declare in the first place? Exactly the same happened 10 years later. And England almost chased the match. It was an absolutely flat batting pitch. England was set, I think, 696. They scored 654 for 5. And then they had to leave. So, yeah, I mean, if 696 wasn't safe, it was that kind of a pitch, why would anyone declare? So, after that, slowly see, until this point, in Australia, every test match was timeless. So, after that, they slowly did away with the timeless test concept. Because they even they saw the futility of it. Uh, flat batting wickets. with uh, Basically, it killed the purpose of a test match. It, it was discouraging for the bowlers. So, yeah, eventually it did away. But until a point, there was no fixed length. The home, bo home board decided how long the test matches would be. So, in England, the World Test Championship I mentioned, it, they were, these were three-day test matches. The first test match in India was a three-day test match. Test matches could be three day, four day, five day, six day, anything. As late as in the 1970s, if the last match was not a dead rubber, the last test used to be a six day test. So even when ICC did that World Champions versus ICC World 11 test match in 2005, that one test match, it was a six day test match. It got over in very early, but it was a six day test match. So that was probably the last. And after that, I think uh, Zimbabwe played a four-day test match in South Africa and Afghanistan's first test match against India was that it got over inside two days but was probably a four-day test match I, if, I, if my memory serves right. So yes, if ICC agrees and both boards agree, then you can have a four-day test match or even probably a six-day test match. One of the reasons for this could be, see, England had three-day test matches but in England you could get seven to seven hour, seven and a half hours of cricket a day in peak summer. That is not the case in all countries. So in England, a three-day match may be a four-day match in some other country. The same number of overs. Now things are more standardized. Yes, thank you, sir. Uh, that was really you know good summary of what uh, we had about timed uh, test matches. But you also talked about standardization. We kind of uh, went through some of the annals of history and found out that there were eight ball overs as well. So, if you could throw some light on that as well. Australia used eight ball overs. England did that for one season and rejected the idea. India did that for a couple of seasons. India's first tour after independence was in Australia. So, just before that tour, India had a few eight ball over matches because the cricket in played in Australia were eight ball overs. So, to get it, but in early 1960s, India did try out eight ball over matches in the Ranji Trophy. But again, they rejected the idea. The one advantage of an eight ball over matches, it gets you more action. See, basically, three overs are 24 balls, which is four, six ball overs. 
but you get three breaks and you get two breaks in a in an eight ball over match so basically less time lost that is the only advantage i can see but that is six and eight before that overs used to be have of five balls and before that four balls it started with four balls and in the usa i think it was probably because they wanted to do things differently from everyone else there were 10 ball overs at one point in usa domestic cricket we have seen this but eight ball over matches were there in australia until the late 1970s i think this is my theory that it went away with the advent of limited overs cricket when the number of overs became important so that has to be standardized and and probably bowlers also may have complained bowling eight balls at a stretch rather than six uh, yes that is one way of thinking but uh, some uh, spinners will tell you that eight balls give you work the batsman out maybe. work the batsman out to to exert their dominance etc so the spinners were not the ones complaining the fast bowlers obviously were complaining they had every right to then again the other thing was advertisements became an issue because as i said commercial breaks eight ball overs meant fewer commercial breaks so yeah and a lot of these things were de- dependent on money yes actually there have been a lot of fascinating traditions in test cricket it's almost uh, tea time so can you please uh, tell how the tradition of the tea break uh, started in test matches there is no tradition they needed a break basically there was uh, not even a no- nothing specified actually that tea will be taken after this point they just decided the umpires decided okay we'll have tea because in early days of cricket if you notice the days were shorter there were five hour days so there was a gap after two hours that's for sure so now adding a second break you would have been random slightly random these were not six plus hours days the way we have now so the umpires decided and mostly cricket was in england so they insisted i mean uh, if you look at some of the er- early pictures you'll see the cricketers often had they were served tea on the ground so just like a drinks break it was not a specified break as such now cricket statisticians often use the tea break to denote sessions a tea break was longer than a drinks break but the idea of breaking days play into three sessions okay, where cricketers actually return to the pavilion for a break came much later remember right. cricket cricket is the only sport i know of course i don't know all sport where every interval is named after a meal or a beverage <laughs> that's a good one sir <laughs> so while i wait for my tea to arrive sir earlier i heard that there used to be cricketers who went for a drink even before a test match those were different days right uh, the, regarding the fitness the resigns and all so can you talk us through a bit about that before during after they probably even do that these days the our team doesn't let the stories reach us you don't know earlier they you, they had a lot more freedom they could go around in public doing that these days if you do that you'll be mobbed so you don't even know what they do but uh, yeah the emphasis on fitness is a lot more and um, douglas jardin had figured out that harold lawood needed probably that extra bit so he sneaked in alcohol during the drinks break so basically they were they took the glasses out on trays and the glass for lawood was at the center so nobody took it by accident so that was spiked 
So that was one way of having, I mean, giving your key fast bowler that extra bit. This was not unheard of. Cricketers going out for a drink, cricketers after the match, drinking till the till late morning. Gary Sobers uh, was known for doing this. Sobers often returned in the morning, then without any sleep, he went out to bat, score 100. But yeah, I mean, it's probably not advisable because not everyone is Sobers. If you ask me, I don't mind personally. I don't mind anyone doing anything as long as it's legal and also as long as it does not affect performance. What you do away from the field is probably your personal life. Unless, of course, you're breaking the laws or doing something insensitive, that is something else. But whether you drink all night or you're a teetotaler, that shouldn't matter. Awesome, sir. It's always good to hear about such interesting stuff about test cricket, which we don't find them anywhere. Right. Talking about eras, even though the administration might have a cold eye towards women's sport, and that's because they might be aiming for uh, short-term gains over long-term sustainability, sports as a whole uh, doesn't differentiate by gender. Now that women started playing globally, let's go back to the history, sir. Women's participation in cricket has a long history marked by many accomplishments which we're extremely proud of. But when it started, they might have been quite different for them. So how did it all started for them, sir? See, the first match is uh, goes back to 1743, the first recorded match. So, it was quite old. I mean, you can say that. But it was not until the late 1800s, say around the 1880s, 1890s, the women actually formed teams. Around 1890, there were two professional teams, basically professional women cricketers, these are probably usually called considered the earliest female professional cricketers. Mind you, some played cricket just for entertainment, but they actually charged for playing. So these teams were there. They were called, I mean, I don't like the names. They were called just the Reds and the Blues. I don't like the name, I think. But they could have named them better, but they were what they were. But if you ask me, the first major incident happened in 1926 when the Women's Cricket Association was formed. So even in the early days, there was no fixed law as to even what women would wear while playing. So you would see in older pictures, women women cricketers were playing in trousers, in shorts, in skirts. It was slightly random that the laws slowly came in place in the early 1930s. Then around roughly that time, they decided that it they could send a team to Australia, a representative England team. This actually included some Scotland cricketers. Michael McLagan, the best player of the team, was a Scot player. So now, but the problem was they did not find a proper sponsor. So this was not an MCC team and the association was not a rich association. So now members had to pay out of their pocket. The first team that toured Australia, women's team that toured Australia, had cricketers who had other professions. There were some teachers, there was a student, a lawyer, a nurse, secretaries. So that was how the team was made. McLagan was, an, if I remember correctly, she was in the army. Remember, this was when, uh, in, in the summer of 1934 was when England lost the ashes at home. Now, the women went to Australia and won the Ashes, won the Cess series in Australia. It was still not the Ashes. They basically, I think it was the Morning Post who insisted that Wisden 
actually uh, start replacing the men's teams with McLagan's team. The McLagan was probably the first outstanding cricketer at test level for women. But this was a strange experience. So they had some strange proposals. The changing rooms to begin with were very rudimentary. They were makeshift arrangements. This was, they were used to male cricketers. So these were temporarily set up. Some Australian fans advised that they should not be playing cricket. They should be staying at home, looking after their families. And then there were other opinions as well. Some, probably it was a mayor who suggested they settle down in Australia and give birth to future generations of Australian cricketers. And so on. It, uh, they had a lot of strange experiences. But yeah, it was basically first women's test series actually happened. England won the series. On their way back, they played on one-off test in New Zealand. They won that one also. So essentially, they covered two test series in one trip. And then uh, then women's cricket got going. That, that's a heart-touching to listen. That's, it's just phenomenal that women started playing such long ago. But they were often perceived as being too weak for sport, particularly endurance sports like cricket. And we still have some morons uh, saying that kitchen is the only place for them. Uh, it's so sad to see such people around us. But moving on, uh, ever since we thought of having you on our podcast, sir, uh, I kept on thinking on one question which desperately wanted to ask you. It's like an uh, itch in my brain, but I can't scratch, just like Sheldon Cooper. Uh, before I forget, uh, let me ask you, sir. I read some interesting trivia that uh, Ranjit Singh Ji, uh, on which Ranjit Trophy has, uh, we have Ranjit Trophy, has not even played one test match for India. Uh, why no, was yeah. that, sir? See, India didn't have a team uh, until 1932. Ranji's career got over long before that. Ranji could never have played for India. Dalip Singh Ji came very close to playing for India. But just before India played their first test match, Dalip contracted tuberculosis. He might have played for... I mean, roughly at that point, Pataudi was also a contender for India. But uh, Dalip was one of the selectors of the early Indian... I mean, he also played a role in Indian ticket administration. So, Dalip's career ended prematurely. He played in the Bombay Pentangular. It was the quadrangular back then for the Hindus. So, yeah, Dalip might have played for India had he not been ill. Pataudi was... Pataudi senior, he was... In good form, he scored a hundred on Test debut in Australia. He led India after the World War got over. Probably it might have uh, he might have done better had he led in had he played for India in the 1930s. That did not happen. So yeah, Ranji was. Uh, I mean, India got test, test status after Ranji's career was over. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, you know that brings. Uh us to talk more about the origins of the test cricket in India. So, can you tell like how did that entire thing happen uh, and how did India, you know, get to play their first test match? Please uh, talk us through that fascinating uh, stuff that would have happened during that time. See, the English, the British had been sending teams to India since the 1890s. The local British were playing with each other. Then the Parsis started taking up cricket. The Parsis played a decent cricket. Two Parsi teams toured England in 1886 and 1888. They were not great teams. They did not do great. But what this showed was that Indians were capable of producing their own teams that can take overseas tours. This may sound commonplace in 2021. But in the 1880s, this was massive. Two years after that, a British team came to India and the Parsis won a match against them. 
and then the Parsis played a match against the local Europeans. Basically, cricketers of European origin, mostly British, and uh, this became an annual contest starting in the 1890s. And around 1908, the Hindus became a third team, so this became a triangular tournament. In 1911, the Muslims became a fourth team, so this became the Bombay Quadrangular. Around 1938, they had to add a fifth team. This was called the rest, which became the pentangular. But before that, in the Indians were playing cricket. During the First World War, the action happened away from India. So while England, Australia had stopped, these were the two major nations. They had stopped playing first-class cricket. Cricket was going on in India. There was not a lot of cricket, but there was cricket. Sikh and I do made his debut roughly around this time. So, in 1926-27, that winter, Arthur Gilligan brought a really strong team to India. They did not lose a single match on the tour. But in a match at Bombay Gymkhana, Sikh and I do scored 153 in under two hours. I think there were 13 fours and 11 sixes. I have forgotten the exact count or maybe 11 fours and 13. At that point of time, it was a world record number of sixes in a first class innings. As the news got out, there was radio, so people started pouring into the ground and it was an innings of such good quality that even, let alone the his team, let alone the opposition, even the crowd applauded, but even the umpires applauded Naidu when he left the ground. That innings. And uh, soon afterwards, Professor Deodhar scored another 100 against the same side. Before leaving India, Gilligan, who was influential with the MCC, promised that they would he would talk to MCC regarding f further commitments with India, cricket commitments with India. In 1926, just before this happened, India, West Indies and New Zealand were called to England and they were given ICC status, member st membership status. So these two happen things happened in a very short span of time. 1928, BCCI was formed. So now it was a matter of time when India would play their first test match. But another thing happened in 1928. India did wonderfully in hockey at the Olympics, at the Summer Olympics. So suddenly after the test status and promises of international tours and this hockey success, India suddenly became again some sort of importance in the sporting world. There was a tour planned in 1931. That didn't happen. In 1932, India had made a full tour of England. So there was only one test match, but they played a lot of, they played every county and several other side matches. And they did really well on the tour. Wow, sir, that, that really takes us back almost 100 years. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about CK Naidu, the first Indian test captain, but somehow the name, Maharaja of Vijayanagaram just brings up a very colorful uh, figure. You know, all three of us have roots uh, in Vijayanagaram. So, okay, first of all, he was not a Maharaja. That is an Maharaj error. Kumar, maybe, Maharaj yeah. Kumar. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> that is a common mistake. <laughs> yeah. He, he never, he was not a king and he never wanted to be a king. He was the younger son who was happy yeah. with, happy getting, uh, staying involved with cricket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's a colorful figure, but also who seems to generate a quite a divided opinion. So tell us some stories about him, sir. 
was an ordinary cricketer uh, who he was a really ordinary cricketer who some of uh, he if you look at his career records that seems ordinary but remember he also used to bribe opposition bowlers to bowl poorly at him he even gave them gold watches and stuff but um, there's a long very convoluted story about how he managed to become the indian captain for the 1936 tour he basically there were several several possible oppositions naidu was one pataudi was one the maharaja of patiala's son the yuvraj of patiala basically he was a nice cricketer he was one there was uh, wazir ali was one so these were all rivals he eliminated them uh, not on the ground uh, one by one and he became captain once captain he was basically an autocrat he tried to divide the team naidu was obviously the more popular person see for example mushtaq and merchant both scored hundreds in the old trafford test wazir did not like merchant he asked mushtaq to run merchant out uh, mushtaq told this to merchant they both had a laugh laugh over this and they both scored hundreds there was obviously no running out baka jilani basically insulted naidu at a breakfast table vizi gave him the test cap as reward so he basically bribed people who were uh, who supported him and he even took them on a trip to paris during that english trip and uh, he did a lot of things which he probably should not have done but it cannot be denied that busy and the maharaja patiala were the first private owners of teams successful private owners of teams they have been owners the maharaja of kuch bihar was one but these two men ran high profile teams there was also a competition but they fought each other so and they hired overseas players busy got hobson sutcliffe to india then he got leary constantine then he, he also tried bradman that did not work out but he got overseas cricketers so if you think he got the indian stars and he got overseas cricketers and he got them to play in a tournament so he was basically the forerunner of the ipl franchises in a way he did exactly what these franchises ha- are doing right now and there is this other part vizi as an administrator has done a lot for indian cricket he may not be a great cricketer playing days were not great he had probably done serious damage to indian cricket in the 1930s but his days as an administrator saw saw things saw him do a lot of things contribute that brings us to the end of part 1 where we discuss the origins of test cricket from the prism of india and some interesting stories about the captaincy the second part has more interesting stuff about the partition and india's first overseas wins and also the indian women's cricket and not to forget the current test championship as well hope you like this episode do let us know your feedback please follow us on twitter we are stridrev_underscore there share it with your friends and family stay safe and see you soon thank you